Hello, listeners, and welcome to this very late episode of Boldly Go. I am your host, Brandy Jackola, and thank you again for joining me. And today, we have a returning guest. You've heard her before. You'll hear her again in the next episode as well. <laughs> All the way from the UK, Ms. Clara Jean Cook. How are you? I'm very well, Brandy. How are you? I'm mostly okay. Uh, August and my allergies are not friends, so it has not been my best month. But other than that, uh, I seem to be managing, so... Well, let's just hop right to it. We're talking about the second big swing of this season and probably of Star Trek overall. Subspace Rhapsody. There are a lot of people who are not looking forward to this episode. I, being a huge fan of musical theater, was very excited that there was going to be a musical episode. So, but I know that there were a lot of people who were not. My husband did not used to like musicals. And I had to explain to him, honey, you've only seen bad musicals, okay? Let me show you a good one. And a love was born. And so now he uh, does not hate musicals. In fact, he enjoys them very much, depending on you know, whether they're good or bad, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll lay his cards on the table. He thinks that this was the best musical episode of any television show that he's ever seen, and we've seen a fair few. <laughs> Thank you, Dave, for that. But uh, I feel like, Clara, you might not be on the same page. <laughs> what did you think when you heard that there's going to be a musical episode? So I really needed somebody's hand to hold while I was watching this episode. <laughs> Um, so I actually quite like musicals. I can't say I'm as a big fan of musical films, but I do really like musicals when I've seen them on the stage. Um, I do like 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 live music. I love people singing, and I guess I guess with for me musicals, I have to suspend my disbelief that people in certain contexts would just start singing their thoughts and singing their feelings. And so when I go set out to see a musical. Even if it's a musical in the, in you know in cinema, um, I know it's a musical from the outset, and I have suspended my disbelief that people are just going to start singing. And I guess the problem I have with Star Trek and musicals is that I'm so used to watching Star Trek as in a particular format that this is quite jarring for me, and it's harder mm. for me to suspend my disbelief that the crew of the Enterprise would be singing. And I have to say I really struggled with the episode. Um, it's not a bad episode. I didn't struggle because it was bad. I didn't struggle because the songs weren't good. I didn't struggle because I didn't think the performances were good. I thought that everyone tried really hard in this episode. And I think that everyone basically worked their butts off to produce this episode, including the people who wrote the songs, who wrote the lyrics, the actors and actresses performing, um, the direction, the, I would say, the uh, like the uh, musicians that, then you know the choir in the beginning that was singing the uh, Star Trek theme, you know the a cappella choir. I feel like they were an a cappella choir. I don't know. Anyway, oh, they absolutely were an. They were a cappella, weren't they? Yeah. Um, and um, you know, I, I, so so it's not so much that it's a bad episode or anything like that. It's purely completely subjective. It's my own feelings. So I understand mm-hmm. that a lot of people love this episode, and I can understand why they do. Um, but I guess I just personally struggled with it. And it's weird because one of the, my favourite shows is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm. And Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a musical show. Very much set in the real world um, with songs and everything. There's a slight difference in the sense that it starts out as a musical almost from the beginning of the first episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. 
there's a song like within the first couple of minutes i think and they don't sort of sing what they're saying it's like they just launch into songs and the songs are all kind of different genres rather than sort of like show tunes or like musical like traditional musical songs you know i loved an episode of doctor who where the master dances he doesn't sing but he dances to a song and so insane i quite love you know here come the drums i love that bit i think it's hilarious um, I when I was younger and I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I actually really enjoyed the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I I did used to watch Glee occasionally. Didn't mind that they sang in Glee. So I don't understand why I struggled with this, but like I just I was in pain <laughs> for the entire oh. hour. <laughs> I really struggled, and I was like, "Why are you having such a hard time? This is actually kind of you know like this is really well made. Why are you struggling? It's just, I can't watch Spock sing. I'm sorry." <laughs> That was actually my favourite thing. (laughs) And it's the fact that they're aware that their singing is makes it even worse when they're like, why am I singing? And I'm like, oh God. (laughs) Well, and and that all goes to the whole MacGuffin as to why they are compelled to sing without their actual permission, really. And uh, it's all Pelia's fault. Let's be honest. It is all Pelia's fault. She was the one, okay, well, we should start with, they are on the edge of Federation space. They have discovered a naturally occurring subspace fold, and this could increase the um, efficiency of subspace communication to the point where it's almost instant, where you could contact, you know, from the edge of Federation space, you could contact Starbase One and almost be in real time. And so that's an exciting prospect, and I get that. And they've been trying to send messages through and it's not working and uh, then Uhura who often hums to herself starts humming to herself and Peli is like oh hey did you try sending music and they're like no but Spock's like hmm that could be fun well that's not really what he's thinking but he's interested because music is mathematical and so math seems to be a common language throughout the galaxy if not the universe etc ad nauseum so uhura picks a song i find it really odd for some reason that the song that they pick is anything goes it's it's a weird song to pick but i'm like did you have a list and this is the first one you were able to get the rights to i mean why that song i wondered if that was in joke because they were like mm. we're gonna we're gonna do a musical episode of star trek in star trek and sci-fi anything goes you know i wonder if, they, if, if it's kind of like a wink and a, and, a, and, a, and a nudge to like the people who are making the show like anything goes you know yeah well not only that but it's also a song about how things used to be a certain way and now these new things are yeah. taking over yeah so ooh, it could be like double metaphorical mm. Hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Well done, Clara. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, they send that into the subspace fold, and this uh, sort of wave happens, and that's when the music starts. <laughs> and Spock's the first one to sing. Now, when my younger sister Brooke was watching this, she and her husband immediately, before music even began, they looked at each other and said, Spock's going to be the first person to sing, isn't he? <laughs> and they were right. And he's going to be like, utterly be- bewildered by it, isn't he? <laughs> uh, yes, and that's the great part about it. He's just like, like after the the inner the intermix chamber and containment field are stable, I'll get to the warp core and check its uh, check it. I can't remember what he says. Check its state when I'm able, and then he's like, "Why? <laughs> what am I singing?" <laughs> it's just this 
Why? Because Vulcans, you know, aren't really known for their singing. Their musical aptitude in playing instruments, sure, but not so much singing. No. I mean, And if it's singing, you know, it's going to be like a choir of Vulcans in yes. robes who are singing some sort of Gregorian chant or something, isn't it? It's not going to be like show tunes. You know, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Almost like Bajoran dirge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like some sort of ceremony. dirge. Yeah, exactly. A Vulcan uh, dirge about Sirach. Anyway. Yeah. It goes on for like 20 hours or something. Yes. And they have to actually swap members in and out because, you know, <laughs> people will faint yeah. if they in don't the, get in water. The, in the heat of the Vulcan midday sun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can they can s sustain for a long time, but you still, you know, you're still a, a corporeal being that needs water. So you're yeah. going to have to switch out. <laughs> your vocalists <laughs> they probably do it like in waves it's like okay let's switch out this soprano this alto this tenor this bass yeah. okay i'm going off on a webbing tangent just the idea of vulcan dirges tickles me so yeah so that starts now that should have been the clue to everybody right off that something was seriously wrong but it's funny because pike doesn't really believe that something is wrong and this is not all a practical joke until La'on. But before that, you know, we, the stuff is happening in engineering and uh, then we switch to sickbay and now Mbanga and Chapel are singing. And it's funny to go back and watch the expressions of the people on the bio beds in there because they're all just like, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> It really is just what, and uh, and they're all just kind of like really trying to remain calm and just like what is happening here while Mbenga and Chapel are singing. And as we find out later, Mbenga does not sing. Yeah, he does not sing. And after that, we uh, we switch to the bridge, and uh, and Pike's trying to figure it out why they're all singing, why saying why are we singing. <laughs> And uh, so we've got a status report from the bridge with Ortegas and uh, her bit of the song. No, or, uh, Melissa Navia does have vocal training. She comes from a very musical background. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously we already knew that Rebecca Romaine and Celia Rose Gooding and uh, Christina Chong have musical backgrounds. So we none of us were surprised when they were good at what they do. <laughs> Uh, I didn't expect Ortegas to be so good, so that was nice. So there, this there's this nice little progression of different characters jumping in with trying to figure out what's going wrong, but having to sing about it. And so we go from Ortegas to number one, and uh, she's checking inertial dampeners. Life support is fine. It seems like all's okay. And then we have this little musical musical interlude where it's Pike is standing over the console between Mitchell and Ortegas, and they're like doing movements and synchronization like it's been choreographed. And then the turbo lift doors open, and we've got Kirk, not Sam Kirk, we've got Jim Kirk, because he's there to shadow Una as the first officer. That's convenient. I didn't know Paul Wesley could sing, but hey. I'm he did quite a good it. job, actually. I think I thought he was quite yeah. good, yeah, his voice. He, he was very good. The funny thing is, is that Pike's, Pike's gaze as he watches her walk to her station, and he's waiting. He's like, is this a practical joke? And then she starts singing, and he rolls his eyes like, no! <laughs> No, no. 
and then we get a you know all of the voices singing in chorus which is uh, which they sing kind of in a round where some start the apologies uh, the most confounding thing i appear to be singing and then somebody else starts that later it's a common thing that happens in musicals and uh, they're reporting at the end all systems stable and then the final thing is pike shout singing <laughs> why are we singing <laughs> And then boom, credits, beautiful, beautiful vocalizations by whatever acapella group they got to do that. Of course, there's still music underneath like the drums and, and such, but everything else is still pretty much all vocal. And hearing it in stereo is really a treat because you'll hear different things on each side if you're able to hear it in stereo. I recommend that. Yeah, I quite like. I, I thought it was. Quite I cool. quite like the credits. I thought having a, a choir sing the Strange New Worlds theme was quite was quite clever, um, and also just it was a nice twist. And also it just sounded really good. It sounded it, it, it sort of signals to the audience that this is like a comedy episode. You know, mm -hmm. I think that. Um, well, I guess we'll go on to talk about like what the maybe maybe later the reaction of what people on the internet have sort of said about the episode. Or do you want to do that? Now? We can, but I don't really read the comments. <laughs> okay. No, I mean I was just going to say that like one of the things I think is interesting is how, like like you said, it's like it's like Marmite. People either love it or they hate it, don't they? I didn't really hate it. I can't say I hated it, but I struggled with it. But like people, yeah, people love it or hate it. For people in the US, I don't know if you know what Marmite is. It's a spread. Oh, I know what Marmite okay, is. Yeah, it's a... I, I like, I actually am one of those weirdos that likes Marmite. I, so. hate, I hate Marmite. <laughs> mm -hmm. But a lot of people so love it. Husband. A lot of people love it. You love it or hate it, right? Um, but I think it's interesting that a lot of people have talked about how, like, this isn't what Star Trek is about. And, you know, this isn't very Trek. And I think that's interesting because I think if you watch some of the original um, series episodes, they are pretty weird. Like, Mm -hmm. there's definitely some singing in the original series Spock sings in the original series uh, sometimes you know one of the episodes like Kirk pretends to be like a horse and rears up you know like you know mm -hmm. um, there's some really weird weird stuff in the original series and I would say you know there's some weird stuff in all of the series I mean in particular like Voyager you know like oh, Voyager's full of weird the, stuff the lizard babies you know I mean like in Next Generation Deanna Troy as uh, a cake I mean, you know, Barkley becoming a spider. Like, I just think I'm not saying um, I'm not saying you're fucking a ghost in a candle. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying that, like, I personally um, loved this episode compared to some of the other ones I've watched. But on the other hand, though, I don't think it is totally um, going off piste for Star Trek to do something strange because mm -hmm. there have been strange episodes of Star Trek. And I don't think it's off piste for sci-fi either like i think Agreed. in science fiction you can get some very weird concepts there was a musical episode of fringe you know and um, there's a cartoon episode of fringe i mean you can get some really weird concepts and there's been plenty of weird episodes of the x-files that have been very strange so i mean same with doctor who you know and i know that star trek is a particular a particular type of, star, uh, of science fiction um compared to lots of other different types of science fiction but i think i disagreed with some of the stuff that i saw online about how like this isn't track. It's like, oh no, you need to go back and watch some of the original series and mm. see how strange some of it is. A, gi a giant green hand in space. A giant green hand in space is all I'm saying. Oh yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. A, a giant Abraham Lincoln in a chair. There in we space. go. Exactly. 
um, there was the whole thing with Harry Mudd and those androids that they had to confuse into shutting down by doing absolutely ridiculous pantomime in every way. Yes. Right. <laughs> just, just, it's like, okay, if you are going to say that this episode of Star Trek is not Trek, then you don't know Trek. Yeah. yeah. Is my, you don't have to like it. No. But you can't say it's not Trek because it absolutely is. There is a scientific reason why this happened. I mean, it's a kind of strange scientific reason. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of strange science in Star Trek, isn't there? Well, honestly. Listen, babies. Listen, babies. When you think about how little we as a species right now know about quantum theory and quantum mechanics, it's not that big of a stretch for me because, you know, literally with all of the possible universes that we could be in, I mean, in in one universe, we could just be trees. We could be uh, just one giant anthill. There are all these things that we could be. We could be just, you know, we could be like just blobs hanging out in space. We can't even fathom what variety of different life forms there are out there because we our brains are just too small at this point. <laughs> so I, for me, yes, there was a good enough reason to, especially with quantum probability fields, yeah, that's a thing. And it's, it's kind of like, okay, well, we have this this uh, thing that could have happened or couldn't have happened, kind of like Schrodinger's cat. Well, when they sent that music into the subspace fold, they created that reality. And that reality uh, wasn't going to leave willingly. It was just like, no, this is your reality now. Okay, thanks, bye. And now the whole focus is on trying to figure out how to stop it. And poor Spock and trying to figure that out. Like the whole Heisenberg compensator thing did not work. In fact, possibly made it worse. (laughs) I think that one of my favorite moments is right at the beginning, right after the credits of of the beginning credits have um, rolled um the scene after that where they're in the ready room and they're all sort of talking about like what happened how this happened and everything Mm. and kirk says you know i thought honestly i thought it was something you had rehearsed (laughs) (laughs) except that i started singing and so i knew you hadn't rehearsed it but just the idea that the whole enterprise bridge crew could have rehearsed a musical in their spare time to perform at some point i don't know that just made me that made me really laugh and then the idea that like an alternate reality could be bunnies, for instance. And I actually, I was like, I'm I'm up for that. I'm up for that episode where the entire bridge crew, well, the entire Enterprise, the crew of the Enterprise are all turned into bunnies um, in like little uniforms, you know. <laughs> yep. Spock would have extra little pointy bunny ears. I was like, that would be cute. I'd watch that. Um, but yeah, so the idea that like, I think what's funny about it is the writers, yet again, know this is a ridiculous concept. So they're putting in other ridiculous ideas in there as well. I think just to show you that they're having fun with it, you know, to not take it too seriously, you know, like that this is just go along for the ride, just enjoy it, you know. Mm. You don't have to make sure this makes sense in the whole like grand scheme of like, I don't know, whatever, canon or law or whatever you're thinking of, um, that you can just enjoy the episode. And, and I think the bunnies is also a reference to Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree because of Anya and her bunny thing. But, you know, honestly, when she spells out all the reasons why she doesn't like bunnies, 
I'm like, actually, no, that's kind of valid. That's kind of valid. <laughs> Dresses up as a bunny for Halloween because that is the most terrifying thing she could think of. Yes, Anya, we love you. <laughs> and she sings a song about bunnies, as far as I yes, can remember, doesn't she? she? Does. In the Buffy, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical episode. So yeah. Yeah, I have the uh, the the book for that. <laughs> So if I ever could uh, sit down and practice piano again, I could play all of those songs. But anyway, <laughs> it's interesting because Lon is really probably the most disturbed by all of that because she's starting to realize that she can't control when she bursts into song. And it seems that, well, she let's, let's go ahead and talk about Una and Kirk when they're trying to hook up everything right for the Heisenberg compensator so that they can uh, fire some beam into the subspace fold to close it so that uh, they don't have to sing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's in a, a, tube and plugging things in and they're talking about being a first officer and he was talking about how his previous first officer was the kind that stayed away from people and you know nobody ever questioned him and that's when Una's song starts because she thinks that that's a bad idea and so she they they don't do a, a full duet but she sings a lot about you know connect with your crew and connect with your truth, which is a very good idea. <laughs> and it was definitely good advice for Kirk because that is what he does in the future, as we see. They're they're doing this in a hallway and the people walking by them going, what <laughs> is, what is, what, what is this? And just, you know, it's this people just passing and then turning around and looking at them as they're still walking <laughs> Before they turn a corner, the the supporting like the the extras in this episode are just so fun to watch because, because they're all just like, what is what is happening here? What is happening? And uh, they even do a bit of a waltz. And I love that Una does refer to her uh, her ability to sing Gilbert and Sullivan because that is not an easy thing to do. Mm. It's very complicated because it's often very fast and you're all over the scale and it's not something easy to do. But during this whole thing, mm. Una's uh, just you know, laying it all out there, saying things that she she even admits in the song. I'm saying, I would never admit this, but, you know, I can see myself on the stage. And La'an is spy, kind of spying and watching this and realizing, oh, shit, I'm not going to be able to control what I'm singing. And of course, that scares her because she has this big secret about having traveled back in time and the alternate timeline Kirk. And now she's got prime timeline Kirk there and she kind of got a thing for him. Okay, more than kind of. And La'an's song made me bawl my eyes out. It really did. Yeah, so La'an is an interesting character because I feel like that I mean, singing in musicals is a very emotional thing. It's an expression of emotion. People don't really sing in musicals for any other reason than to express emotion. Even when the songs are saying what we're going to do, like say, for instance, Les Miserables, the songs saying what, 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 what we're going to do, but they're very emotional songs about what we're going to do. You know, um, the singing is never like a list of instructions. It's almost always got some level of like passion behind it. And so, and the whole concept of a musical, I guess, is that when people are feeling emotionally overwhelmed or intense enough, they burst to song. It's like a like a um, an intense intense burst of feeling, right? And so, Alan is she keeps her feelings quite closeted, mm. quite buttoned up, partly because of I think a lot of the trauma that she's been through in the past, losing her family, losing her brother, 
and you know she's the security chief so she has to be strong and and um she has to be quite firm in the orders that she gives and the, and the information that she she gives to, to the captain and she has to be uh, she's i guess she has to come up with quite serious security plans and um but she's also i would say she's just, she's a bit repressed and i think that what we saw in the episode where she went back in time was that she let herself become emotionally open and vulnerable um partly because of her insecurities to do with being descendant of Khan. um so she um opened up to the i guess alternate universe alternate timeline or not universe but alternate timeline kirk and fell in love with him um and so the emotion so she's I feel like she's emotionally vulnerable um, and she's got a lot of undealt with, unprocessed emotions that she's sort of keeping under wraps, keeping hold, trying to keep tightly hold, tight hold of. And that just doesn't work if you're in a musical, if you're bursting into song. Because the whole point is that you're supposed to be emotionally, like, outwardly expressive, you know? Um, and so I think this, I think one of the points of this episode is about Lan sort of feeling more comfortable with expressing her emotions. You know, whether or not that's ever going to lead to her having a relationship with Kirk. You know, it might not, but in I think in the future, it would, it's going to benefit Laan in her relationships with other people and possibly eventually in a romantic relationship with somebody um, if she's more comfortable with her emotions and more comfortable with expressing them. And I think that's why her song kind of destroyed me was because she wants to be that person. She She's thought about it. She didn't think about it before yeah. going back in time, I don't think. Or if she did, she just kept shoving it down and didn't deal with it at all. But now she has no choice because she could accidentally reveal things in song that she doesn't want to reveal, thereby breaking the uh, the temporal, <laughs> temporal accords and whatnot. So, but I don't think that's what scares her. What scares her is somehow bursting into song and admitting her feelings to Kirk's face. That's what she doesn't want to do. But uh, she's, uh, Christina Chong is an extremely talented singer and her background is actually musical theater. That's where she really started. Uh, I feel bad that, you know, it's unfortunately still a sign of the times that, uh, you know, white people get all the lead roles <laughs> because she couldn't get a lead role to save her life. Yeah. She's a very good actor. She's an amazing singer. There is no reason why she shouldn't have had lead roles. And the only reason that she started trying to get into television was to get seen so that she could maybe get a lead role in musical theater. Well, honey, I think everybody knows who you are now. So great job on getting this yeah. role. And she did push really hard for this musical episode, but Akiva Goldsman was wanting to do a musical episode before any of this even started. So there are some people who are like, oh, no, it's Christina Chong that, that made this episode happen. No, no, it was already an idea in people's heads and they were just trying to figure out how to do it and when to do it. But she did continue to bug the producers. <laughs> very frequently she has got a really good voice yeah and she's and it's not just like a voice that's nice to listen to it's a very powerful voice so you know i can see why she wanted to use it in star trek i mean if it's a talent that you have then and actually this isn't something that's uncommon with other stars in other series of star trek where 
they exhibit and they show certain things that they chance to have. I mean, Picard, like, if Patrick Stewart can work Shakespeare mm-hmm. into Picard, he's going to. You know, like, and, you know, we do see Jonathan Thrake's play, the trombone. I mean, we see... I mean, the thing about Data is he's never actually playing the violin properly because... Mm-hmm. Brett Spiner didn't know how to, but you know what I mean like but like but this other actors you know they did they worked stuff in um yeah. and why not you know you know make your job make 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 your job what you want it to be I guess like yeah. well I've, I've seen enough um live musicians to know when someone is faking it on television so yeah. when I see someone playing a piano for instance I can tell whether they're actually playing a piano even if mm-hmm. just even if they're not fully showing the hands i can tell by their the way their arms are moving whether they're actually playing piano because i play piano and i know where all of those notes go <laughs> so, yeah and it definitely with stringed instruments like with um violin cello um viola all of those things you you have to train to be able to fake it so whenever I see someone playing an instrument in a movie or, or television, I watch very carefully and I'm like, nope, that person actually knows how to play the violin. And then I look it up online. Oh, yes, they do know how to play the violin. <laughs> I was right. So, yeah, she's uh, Christina's very talented. And uh, at such time that she's not doing Strange New Worlds anymore, which I don't even want to think about that future right now, uh, she probably can have her pick of roles in musical theater yeah. i would think so all she has you know it's like can you send us a demo reel just send them strange new world subspace rhapsody <laughs> but that's that's one of the songs that that really wrecked me there's and there's another song that una does which is with lawn because uh, but we we have to have the short song <laughs> this is actually one of the funnier scenes because earlier in the episode um Battelle and pike are talking about going on vacation and where she's talking about going he is just not into it at all and she's saying yeah i know it's touristy but i've always wanted to see this and i've always wanted to see that and he's just he's basically just ready to run he's backing away metaphorically from this whole vacation thing and it's just like yeah maybe we need to figure this out in a few days and you can tell that she's disappointed and she knows what he's doing now the interesting thing to me about the pike and battelle relationship is pike knows it's not going to work out because he knows his future he knows that anything he undertakes as far as a relationship is going to end and that makes him very non-committal. But to be fair, I think he was non-committal prior to this. I don't think him finding out his future was the thing that made him non-committal. I think he's always kind of been a little non-committal. Yeah. Yeah, and also I think it's quite hard if you're a starship captain to oh, be yes. in a relationship with other people. I mean, we've seen all the captains um, through all the series struggle with this. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure about Discovery because I haven't really watched the third season of discovery but um or much you know much beyond that really but um you know Janeway struggled with it i mean their their, their reasons are slightly different obviously mm-hmm. for each captain but Janeway struggled with it um picard struggled with it kirk struggled with it i mean i know he had a lot of affairs with women but there is there's a couple of scenes in tos where he talks about how like he can't have like a private life basically because he's a captain and he's you know like his you know his he's got to have a relationship with the ship and basically he's you know he's got one woman for him and her name is enterprise or whatever um 
I guess Cisco was most successful at it, I suppose. Mm. But even Cisco, you know, even Cisco was a struggle for Cisco too it's at times, you know, there's conflict of interests and everything. I think part of the problem is when you are, um, well, one, as a captain, you seems like your entire life is about being captain. You're incredibly busy all the time. They almost never get vacations and they almost never get shore leave. But also when you're the most senior person, you have a lot of people that you're responsible for. It's a lot of pressure. Um, and you have to have basically have your finger in a lot of different pies all at once to keep track of everything. But also when you're the most senior person, there is like an imbalance of power. So mm. if you're captain, um, we see this with Janeway specifically, you can't have a romantic relationship with anyone who's under your command especially when you're that far away from home. And I know that Pike isn't doing that necessarily. He's having a relationship with another captain, but they aren't on the same ship. You know, they will have different missions. They will have different priorities. They've got loyalty to their own crews. They just, I just feel like their schedules just don't match up enough. And so that's yeah. one reason why I think he's quite non-committal. But also, like you said, um, he knows that he's going to be uh, blown up um, or burned or whatever happens to him. Um, and so he knows that he's not going to have a future a good future his life is going to be irrevocably changed and i guess he doesn't necessarily want to put marie through that i guess the thing i feel about this particular thing is that we had this in the last episode didn't we or was it the episode before the last episode i don't know back and forth back and forth you know it's like he seems non-committal then he seems invested and now he's non-committal again mm. i'm like pike stop screwing her around just make up your mind <laughs> And she's being as patient as she can, but that all comes out when uh, she calls him from the Cayuga to talk to him and he's on the bridge and uh, she she immediately says, we need to have a private conversation about our cancelled vacation. <laughs> and then, of course, that starts the song between the two of them. The funny thing is, is to watch La'on during all of this because everybody else on the bridge is just mesmerized watching this like they're the audience in a, in a, in a musical. And... It's funny because when Pike's doing his whole thing is, I don't want to hurt you, but when we don't agree, I just want to run. And you see La'on crossing all the way from security over to communications and ending that conversation because <laughs> she'd already explained to Pike that this was a security risk. Yeah. And he didn't really believe it until that moment. But it's just so funny because Lon just, she, she thinks that Pike's going to get control of it. And then he just keeps going on and on. She's like, nope. And she, she goes over there and just barges in on Uhura's station and just cuts off that community. She's like, just, let's, let's just, let's just, let's, let, let's just, t let's just take this guy out. Let's just. Yeah. For his own sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He obviously cannot control what he's saying. And that makes yeah. her even more worried about it. He's going to be embarrassed. Is, <laughs> yeah, which is what leads to the next song, which is Keeping Secrets. Because number one has already noticed that Laon has something going on with her when it comes to James T. Kirk. And I love when they're in the transporter room at the beginning and Una's like, what is going on with you? And she's like, nothing. I'm just just waiting to do a security check. And she's like, no, that's not it. You came in here hot on fire. It's making me sweat. So what I want to know is, right, is, just, is number one just like teasing her? And is, can number one tell she's not acting normal because they're, they're good friends? Or is this like some sort of genetic superior? Like, can she sense temperature or something? Or is this just like a joke? Well, I think anyone that looks at Laon could tell that she was not acting normally. It wouldn't take anyone with a superior genes or intellect to figure that out. But... Laon has known 
or Una rather, has known Laon more than in, longer than anyone else on the ship. Yeah, that's true, yeah. So they've known each other for quite some time. And so they're definitely friends. So she would be the one to tease her like that. Funniest part of that is when Kirk finally gets beamed aboard and he's, Una doesn't know that he's already met Laon because, you know, there was that whole D- Aliens in the Deuterium episode. <laughs> Una's even more surprised and is just like, mm-hmm, without going mm-hmm, out loud. And Laon's just like, yeah, okay, fine. Let's let's go do this, this security check. And she goes the wrong way and then has to turn around and leave the opposite direction. She's so flustered. I think I think Laon is really sweet when she's flustered. I oh, she's say. adorable. She's adorable yeah. when she's flustered. I think it's so fun because it's so... Uh, I mean, it's obviously something we're all capable of, but it's just so fun to see her that way because, you know, you don't really think of her being capable of that until you see it. <laughs> just, it's so cute. Uh, but the song Keeping Secrets, not my favorite song of the episode. It starts out kind of slow. I do like the message of it that she's explaining, hey, yeah, th- it can be good to keep a secret and and make yourself an island, but... I tried that and it doesn't serve me anymore. And she even says, I see so much of myself in you and I'm trying to guide you. So she's basically trying to talk Laon into expressing what she needs to express to James before it comes out in a song so that she can make this declaration on her own instead of it being forced out of her in a most Mm. embarrassing and possibly public way, which is a tricky road to walk. Yeah, I mean... It's interesting because the two of them have actually quite evolved quite a lot as the series has gone on. And I guess mm. it sort of is shown in this episode, isn't it? Um, I think initially in the first season, number one seems quite unapproachable. And she's also superior, right? I mean, she's genetically superior and everything. But in season two, she's actually appeared quite vulnerable at times and also just a bit more, um, I would want to say human, because I feel that's racist. She's Illyrian. But you know what I mean? But she, she seemed more like, um, more approachable, and more open, yeah. Um, just a bit warmer really mm. and um, so she's evolved you know um, and part of that is because of the people around her and you know and, the, and, and I think like the crew supporting her and going to bat for her in the second episode of this of this season absolutely um, you know when she was facing the tribunal and everything so it kind of makes sense that she would be then singing this song encouraging Laan to open up and to reach out to people and to, to talk to Kirk before she like bursts into a really embarrassing song <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's actually just good advice anyway for Laon because she can't keep everything close to the vest. You will destroy yourself that way. You have to open yourself up to people in order to learn new things, in order to grow. And I think that Laon wants to grow. And she's been, yeah, she's been through a lot. She's been through a lot. There's no question about that. But she has the choice here. She she wants to make the choice to get this out before it comes out of her unexpectedly. And they're trying, they're actually thrown together. Kirk and Laon are thrown together again when they're trying to uh, beam some of the particles from the subspace fold uh, into engineering so that they can study them and figure out how possibly to collapse this subspace reality. And they're kind of working very close together at a console and he's 
kind of overstepping and he apologizes for that when he's like oh no wait you're in command here not me sorry about that that was nice that he actually apologized for being a, an aggressive straight white male <laughs> 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 and uh, she, they get to the point where they are able to transfer some of the particles into a container, containment device and then send it down to engineering. And she's about to tell him. She's about to start this conversation. And then there's an explosion. <laughs> and that kind of puts an end to that. He's very protective. Kirk has actually always been pretty protective um, from what I've seen from the original series and beyond. So he's immediately like shielding her in case something's going to happen when she can fully take care of herself. <laughs> and he knows that. I think he knows that. It's more just of an instinct to protect. He's he's a protector type. So Yeah, I mean, that kind of tracks with yeah, like you say, what we've seen from the original series, but also attracts is what was said, <clears throat> what he said earlier in this season about like his father helping people and him mm-hmm. wanting to help people. That's also something that we see with a lot of the captains, a lot of the people yeah. in command in Starfleet is they have a real sort of, yeah, like moral sense. They want to protect, they want to solve a problem, they want to make things better. Um, but Kirk, this, I think Kirk's quite warm in a way some of the other captains aren't mm. always you know Agreed. like he's a very he's a very warm individual um you can tell that he really loves his friends he makes jokes he smiles you know um and i think that this iter- iteration of kirk um has kind of captured that mm-hmm. that he's you know a very warm individual which i think like some like say for instance somebody like picard has struggled with picard is a bit more buttoned up I would say Picard's kind of repressed at times, but like, you know, at times a lot, but you know, I mean, that's because, you know, of his whole background and everything that we know, but, um, and yeah, so that sort of also goes with the whole sort of protecting people as well. I think, I think this, this guy's doing quite a good job at playing Kirk. Agree. I was not all that excited at introducing yet another new Kirk. I quite, I quite like Chris Pine as Kirk. Um, I didn't like the two of the three Kelvin movies, but that's okay. I've said that before. That's okay. People can love them. I'm glad they love them. It brought so many new fans to Star Trek. It's amazing. I have nothing against that at all. It just personally, um, 2009 and Into Darkness were not for me. Beyond, loved. Still had his problems. Don't care. It's fun. I had mm-hmm. a, a fun time. And I think th- that was the first time I really felt like this crew felt like a the, the Enterprise crew to me. That was just my personal feeling. But all that aside, um, I think Paul Wesley has eclipsed Chris Pine in this regard because I think he's had far less time to be in this role and he's not even the captain of the Enterprise yet and he is nailing this. He is taking certain aspects we've seen from Chris Pine from William Shatner the best parts because I am not a Shatner fan. (laughs) I'll tell I'll lay my cards on the table. I never liked Shatner's Kirk. It was all about (laughs) Spock for me so And that is still true. It's all that Spock for me. (laughs) And uh, I think he's he's combining these these attributes, but also making it his own. And that is a really hard thing to do. And he is doing it well. So I'm completely on board with Paul Wesley's uh, performance as James Tiberius Kirk. Now we finally got an episode, a couple episodes this season where it was actually him instead of, you know, an alternate universe or future, possible future version. I think that it's interesting that they have him in this episode um, just because 
although they've come up with a reason for him being there, it's a bit of a MacGuffin, really. I don't think there's really any reason for him to be there. Um, but it is kind of amusing to think that original series Kirk has this experience in his history of being in Starfleet of like the time where they, you know, sort of fell into a subspace fold and like he ended up singing. Like mm-hmm. it, it just make, it makes me wonder like, do him and Spock ever bring this up in the future? Is there ever a time where Kirk's like, do you remember that time when we ended up singing? And Spock's like, we agreed never to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> or like Spock's like, yes. <laughs> and Kirk's like, yeah, best we all. Or like you're just talking about it and then Bones being like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> no, they would absolutely, Spock would never allow that to be mentioned in front of Bones because he would Bones never would like, hear the Spock, end of it. we're singing. <laughs> and then you can see it, you know, like having breakfast or something and Bones is like, Spock, would you like to sing us a little song? I don't know. You could see it just like it would be coming like an in-joke amongst people. I mean, I guess Sahara would have witnessed it too and, you know, anyone else that was left over in the crew. Who, I mean, Mbenga was obviously Chapel. Mm-hmm. They all mm-hmm. would have. Christine Chappell could have been like, so there was this time with the... <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be possible that uh, this whole thing gets classified, but I don't... It's classified, I don't yeah. It's like, let's agree never to speak of this ever again. <laughs> yeah, could be. Um, it's The interesting thing is when I think about it, because it really, I didn't really think about um, the convenience of Kirk being sent to the Enterprise, but when you think about it a little bit more, it is the flagship of the fleet, the yeah. Enterprise. And so if you're going to send a first officer or you're a potential first officer to shadow another first officer, aren't you going to send them to the best in the fleet? So I can make that work. Well, and it was the captain who made that decision, the captain of the Farragut. Yeah. So, and of course, if you want a good first officer, you have them shadow the best first officer in the fleet, the poster girl slash woman of Starfleet. <laughs> Used for recruitment in the future, y'all. We do have a scene finally where I'm just skipping around a bit because I want to talk about this, where Laon gets Kirk alone and confesses what's been going on. And she's so awkward during this because she's she's scared. She's putting herself out there. It's embarrassing. It's not comfortable at all. And the interesting thing is that he's really paying attention to everything she says. In fact, he's leaning forward a little bit because she is a tiny woman. <laughs> so he is leaning forward a bit. It comes to this point where she's expressed all of this and he says, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel the connection too. the first time you called me for that bogus security <laughs> report. He doesn't say bogus, but he said, I felt like I knew you. Then we find out that, ah, uh, he got a girl pregnant and it's Carol, Dr. Carol Marcus. Don't know if she's a doctor yet, but she... Probably not she, at this point, I guess. It's it's possible she is. He's already... I think the way that he talks about it, he doesn't say a lot of specific things, but he says that this is, you know, I'm, I'm now in this relationship in a very real way because she's pregnant. It's interesting how he hesitates on saying the word pregnant, kind of like. And, and my first thought is, do you all not have birth control in the future? What the hell? How well, did this happen? Crusher got accidentally pregnant, so... Yeah, but see, that's the thing. You have the ability to make that choice now. You certainly must have it in the future. So there is no excuse for unintended pregnancies I mean, in a committed relationship. Cisco and Cassidy Yates accidentally got pregnant too. It's just, wow. So I can buy that Cisco forgot to go get his contraceptive shot. 
I can buy that, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Because he's busy and maybe he's not thinking about it and he's a man. I mean, maybe in the future, men are just as responsible for contraceptive as women are. I mean, men should mm-hmm. be now, but we all know they're not, let's be honest, right? So maybe in the future, men are like just as just as clued up, just as on it as women. But um, I don't buy that Crusher, that Crusher got accidentally pregnant. I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that at all. I don't buy that Crusher, the doctor of the Starship Enterprise, an exceptional, exceptional like scientist, medical professional. I don't buy that she forgot to take contraceptive. I don't know. I feel like she didn't maybe thought she was too old. I don't know. Or maybe it was I don't know, let's not even go into it, but Picard's Borg sperm or something. <laughs> but but mm. I, I, I don't I mean I I'm kinda of buy it maybe that Kirk just Are we are we supposed to think it's it was that they were in a relationship? Or is it like a one night stand? Well no, he said that Kirk they've been on again, off again and now it's on again mm. because she's pregnant. But he's on a ship and he's not going to give up his post to go to Starbase One and hang out there with Carol Marcus. And there's this whole terrible part of me and I hate that this even Actually, this thought even entered in my mind. Hang on. What? Worf also got accidentally pregnant. They all they all accidentally had children. None of it was planned. Keiko and Miles planned their children. <laughs> it's but just like- so weird to me. It's so weird to me. How can you be that thoughtless and irresponsible? You guys are supposed to be better than we are. Especially since, like, in a lot of these relationships, I mean, with the exception of Cassidy and... <clears throat> well, no, similar to Cassidy and Cisco. It's not really Cisco's fault. But, like, in a lot of these relationships where they got accidentally pregnant, one of the parents wasn't there to raise a child. Mm-hmm. So, like, Picard wasn't there to obviously raise Jack. Kirk isn't there to raise David. And what... Well, that's not his fault. Kirk... No, he's told to stay away, isn't he? Yeah. By Carol. Yeah. Yeah. And and then like Worf's I mean Worf's, Worf's girlfriend died, so it's not really <laughs> it's not really her fault. But like Worf ends up raising Alexander by himself, doesn't he? Well, I guess his parents help out. But like, yeah, you're right. It's contraceptive as shit in the future. <laughs> it's just it's just so This it's doesn't so dumb. bode well. This doesn't bode well for the human race, is what I'm saying. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. It probably gets to the point where she realizes he is not going to quit his job, so to speak, to raise a child. Maybe and she also so, thinks his job is too dangerous as well. That too. Or something, well, and she know. does say in Wrath of Khan, you know, I didn't want him chasing across the galaxy after his father. I want, you know, you had your world and I had mine and I wanted him in mine. And, and there's, you know, there's dialogue before that when he says, you know, I did what you asked. I stayed away. Because there were people who were saying that that scene killed, you know, was breaking canon. I'm like, I'm sorry. How, have you guys seen The Wrath of Khan? Because I've seen it a hundred times and it does not break canon. Okay. This this particular incident does not break canon. He, Kirk says the first time they get to reg, regular one that uh, he, when he first sees David, he, he says quietly, to Carol, is that David? So he knows his son's name. Oh yeah, he he knows he has a son. Yeah, and he may have seen the son as a baby, possibly, maybe, maybe she sent him a picture. But yeah, of course he wouldn't know him on sight because he hadn't seen him his entire life. Well, so you have to remember in the original series, as is the case with Discovery, as is the case with Enterprise, you know the uh, Archer's ship, as is the case with uh, Strange New Worlds. Uh, you don't see any children on the ship. Mm-hmm. I don't think families are traveling on starships, at the, or not on flagships oh, no. at that point. It's only no. when like TNG comes along 
Um, and even then, it's a small number of children. It's a small school. Um, and then, obviously, a DS9 is a station. It's an entirely different situation. And then, obviously, with Voyager, there's some accidental children that end up... Ac- children that accidentally end up on there. I don't think it's hugely common to have children on starships where you might be having potentially dangerous mission. Mm. I mean, it's not, it's, not like, it's not like all these ships are carrying families around. I felt like there might be sh- families on ships, but not necessarily on the flagships. There might be, you know, families on um, science vessels or there might be families on transports going to and from colonies or trading vessels or something. On the ships that are going out on five-year missions to unexplored space, I don't think there's that many children. <laughs> so so it's quite possible she could have been like, you're going off on a dangerous mission to five years and into unexplored space. We can't really raise a child on a ship like that, you know? Yeah. He doesn't want to give up his career, so... But And she didn't want to leave hers, so yeah, there we are. But she made the decision because she was carrying the baby. <laughs> so she was like, nope, doing this on my own. Don't you show your face around here no more. Yeah, and he agreed to it. Like, if he didn't agree to it, then he wouldn't. He would have stayed on a star base. And I can't really imagine Kirk doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I guess he would have done something else. But that wasn't what his, de- his destiny. Uh, I, I think that he probably secretly would have been relieved by that, frankly. I guess that this is something that must be, I wouldn't imagine is completely uncommon mm. in Starfleet. Yeah. It seems like in Starfleet it's hard to have family. Yeah. That your your crew is your family because you're so far away from your family all the time. Well, Riker and Troy made it work. <laughs> then they were, After they were many years. Yeah, it took them some time. I'm sort yeah. of like sexual the tension. Of time it took them to get back to each other was just ridiculous. It's like we had to wait till the movies. Really, you guys come on. Yeah. So she's kind of devastated by that, Lon and but at the same time totally understands and kirk is very regretful and apologetic that he has to tell her these things but she got it out she's not going to now sing it in song uh, for the whole world to hear or the whole ship to hear as the case may be uh also should mention the klingons have now been affected by this uh probability <laughs> field and the effect is spreading throughout starfleet and the klingon empire apparently um <laughs> Which is so fun. I as the, the, There was a part of me that when I knew they were going to end up singing, I thought, oh, they're going to sing opera. And I thought, no, they're not. That would be typical. That would be expected. So, but we'll get to that. Um, let's jump over to Chapel and Spock because earlier in the episode before the singing began, Chapel is waiting for a communique from Dr. Corby about the fellowship, um, which they don't really make it clear as to whether the fellowship is still on Vulcan and whether it is still controlled by Vulcans because it seems it's like it's with Dr. Corby himself at this point. They don't make that very clear. Is this the same fellowship that she rejected earlier in the season? I don't know. I don't know. But regardless, we know it's going to be with Dr. Corby, whom later ends up being her fiance and then disappears and then reappears as an android or something. Anyway, long story (laughs) short, um, She's been accepted into this fellowship and she's really excited. And the next thing she says is, oh, I got to talk to Spock. But does she do that? No, no, she doesn't. She could have taken five minutes and explain (laughs) how everything went. But she chickens out and instead tells him the whole thing in front of several other people in the port galley. In song. In song. <laughs> I actually is, really like the song. <laughs> which is literally like what Lan was kind of trying yeah. not to do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what Pike and Marie Patel were trying not to do. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's the thing. She she was she was celebrating. Like she could she had time. If she's in Port Galley celebrating, she had time to go to Spock and explain what was going on so that he didn't have to hear it in front of everybody else. And I feel I think, like that was a bit insensitive. I think what's interesting about this is that really I think from her point of view it seems like this doesn't involve Spock at all. That this isn't really about Spock, this is about her. Um, and in a way, I kind of like that it is about her, that she's not breaking up with Spock because she's upset with him or because um, she feels rejected or because she's worried about him or nervous of the future. It's that she's breaking up with him because she's making a decision for herself and for her future. And that's kind of empowering. But it's also, it's three months, right? And mm-hmm. yet again, I'm like, dudes, three months. Like, when I was first with my husband, this is before we were married, you know, he he almost got, a, well, he was thinking of taking a job in Brussels. I know it's not in space. I know it's not as far away, right? <laughs> but he was thinking of taking a job in Brussels. Or like, we were living in London. And he was like, well, you could come with me for three months. Or I could just stay in London. We were already living together at that point. Or I could just stay in the flat in London. And he could go to Brussels. It was it was three months. It's fine. It's fine. Mm. You know, like if he hadn't discussed it with me, yes, I would be upset. If he was like, "I'm going to Brussels, goodbye," I would have been very unhappy that we hadn't discussed it and he hadn't taken my opinion and my feelings into account. So obviously, that's not okay. But he did talk to me about it, and we did, you know, we discussed it and everything. In the end, he decided not to go. But it, like, we didn't break up because we we're going to be apart for three months. I mean, three months is actually that long. So I was a little bit like, "Why?" Well, <laughs> this is my way of trying to get chapel and spock to stay together i understand for canon they cannot stay together but i was like it's three months dude just let her go do her thing for three months and she should just like like you can communicate right just through i mean communication <laughs> yeah but the thing is she is she's the one that's like nah you know she's nah. looking for an excuse to break up with one guess maybe she she is because she's always looking for an excuse to break up with someone we have seen this throughout strange new worlds her inability to commit when anything starts to get serious she bolts or slightly, com- or slightly complicated as well i guess like being yeah. in a relationship with spock is probably more complicated than being in a relationship with another human being and also um she knows from the previous episode doesn't she not previous episode mm-hmm. two episodes ago that she knows that um spock is going to become more not emotionless but i don't know what would you say like more vulcan more vulcan yeah Mm-hmm. Um, and so she thinks that she might have something to do with that. I, my personal feeling is that she was going to do this whether she knew what his future was or not, because this is her pattern, and which makes me laugh that she runs off and gets engaged to Corby, <laughs> and then he does to her what she's done to every other person she's had a relationship with and disappears. <laughs> Although this is going to come back to bite her later on, isn't it? Because in it the original sure series, is. she's in love with him. So yeah, I love it's like, oh, honey, you had your chance. But well, and see, and that's the thing. She could have talked to him about all of this. She could have talked to him and said, look, you know that I want to do this fellowship. And I know you wouldn't want to keep me from furthering my career and my knowledge. And I'm going to be gone for this amount of time. Uh, I hope you're going to be happy for me. And of course, he, he is in his own way happy for her and he wants her to be successful but the way that she broke it to him was not cool (laughs) not cool at all that's a private conversation for sure and he deserved that he deserved that because he cares for her deeply and he thought that she felt the same way and she has just displayed that she does not also 
Spock's romantic life has been a bit turbulent even before to this. Say the least. So, you know, he broke up with Depring, suppose well, separated. But she she broke up with him. Um, take time apart, oh, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. So And we I'm all like, know that's you... we all know that's not gonna work out eventually. <laughs> Yeah, well, there are reasons for that, and you see those reasons early on, and that's fine. I like that we're getting this this history of Tapring when all we had of her was one, you know, an appearance in one episode for like ten minutes. So basically, yeah, she, saying, she falls I, she falls in love with someone else as well, doesn't she? Like, Ston, oh yeah, Ston, the yeah. guy that she was hanging out with on Vulcan at the prison. Excuse me, whatever they call it, that's not a prison, but it's totally yeah. a prison. So yeah, they they showed him. <laughs> I think it was that episode where she called him and he she was talking about uh she was doing research about human sex and yeah. he chokes on his wine. <laughs> that was so funny. But yeah, she's uh she was talking to Ston before that and I didn't realize that the first time I saw the episode because it was a screener and I had no subtitles, but the second time like, "Oh, Ston." Yeah. So, but this is this is one of those situations and I I think that what Spock says to Stan in um, About the Time is have you may find that having is not so pleasing as wanting. And I think that that goes back to, I want to connect that back to this whole thing with Chapel um, because he thought he had it all and then he found out, oh, she didn't feel the same way. We are not on the same level emotionally. And she showed me that in front of you know, 30 other people. Um, and also, Vulcans are quite private individuals, especially yes. when it comes to their relationship. Mm-hmm. So they don't talk like, about it. It's like doubly horrific for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor guy. Really, really, really bad. And so it just... And so when he does, you know, basically what's going on is they have to figure out how to collapse the subspace field, prob- prob- probability field. And they are... Uh, Uhura and Spock are trying to figure it out because obviously the particles didn't work out. They exploded. <laughs> she's, she's, uh, Spock thinks that maybe taking readings while someone is doing a song might help, that they can find a pattern as to why this is going on. And so he and Uhura are on that, and Spock's like, now how to trigger a song? And she's talking about how songs are triggered by emotion that, you know, in a musical, people burst into song because just saying the words isn't enough. And uh, they're walking past the port galley, and that's when they see Chapel celebrating with Ortegas and with Sam Kirk and drinking champagne. And Uhura's like, oh, maybe this. And she's in like science mode trying to figure this out, whereas Spock is now having the worst day of his life. He's been forced to sing, and now his girlfriend (laughs) is like keeping things from him. (laughs) Like Spock should have been the first person she told after, you know, reading that communique. But anyway, so yeah, then we get a whole big production number with choreography and everything. And (laughs) actually, I really like the song I'm Ready. Uh, I think it's very well suited to Jess Bush's abilities, and she can hit some good low notes. That was really impressive. I I really like the song, and it's catchy. It'll stick in your head. I know all the words to all the songs now. I've listened to the soundtrack several times. Anyway, <laughs> um, but this is the thing. It, this is the thing that's so Uhura's, you know, like caught up in it. Even though she's doing scans and whatnot, she gets caught up with it. She's singing. She's dancing. Everybody in there is, and Spock's just standing there with this horror and humiliation and he's just he's broken he is 
I can see it. He's breaking inside, even though we don't focus on him a lot in this number. I'm just like, oh, no, 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 no. Honestly, I would have turned and walked away before that. But Spock is, I guess he was just rooted in place with horror that this was happening. Yes, and, maybe it's part of the number, right? That he just yeah. does that. Yeah. And uh, when it's when she's finally done... Uhura kind of comes out of it and she's she's like oh shit I forgot Spock was here and he just turns and walks out and it just that my heart just broke for him but my heart breaks for him even more when he does his song which this is interesting because I'm Ready is a happy uh, excited song kind of sexy as well but I'm the ex which is the same melody oh really as I'm ready, but it's they're like night and day. I'm ready is daytime, and I'm the X is the dark deep night, <laughs> because uh, Spock's song is very very melancholic. Well, more than melancholic, he's devastated. He is devastated, and this is where he resolves that he will not make that mistake again. It's when he's going to become more Vulcan, stay away from women, wine and song. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's done with this experiment in human emotions. He's going to reject reject all women from now on. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Pretty much. That we know of. Honestly, when you when it comes right down to it, how much screen time of Spock do we have in the hundreds and hundreds of hours of Trek that exist? Not as oh, much I'm, as we think. I'm sure he has a fair. <laughs> I'm sure he has a fair with women later. But like, yeah, you know, he's just gonna. But we do see in TOS him trying not to have romantic relationships with people, just because oh, of course. you know he's yeah he's been burned. Yeah, and also, like like I said, like, just, you know, it's not necessarily convenient on a starship when you're, like, mm. first officer and you're the science officer, yet again, in a position of power, um, position of authority, and also just, like, busy. <laughs> he, does, yeah. he, does, he does flirt with some people. Like, I see him flirt occasionally. But there's, like, um, there's that episode where there's that woman, Leia? Leia? Leia. Space. You know where he inhales those spores in the original series? Oh, yeah. And like he just he, he like just says to her like just can't do this I can't I can't have this I can't go I can't can't go here can't do this um but he's not unkind to her he's quite sweet no. towards, to her he just sort of says like I'm sorry it's not me it's not part of the way yeah um, and maybe never ever again <laughs> I mean he has to deal with Bonfire every seven years so how he does that I don't actually want to know but <laughs> but I think I. I think a lot of it is also about mastering his own feelings and his own emotions yes. as well. Like, I feel like Spock yeah. is working on himself for a lot of it. He is. Like, you know? And then maybe when you're working on yourself, you're trying to be comfortable with who you are. Um, mm -hmm. It's maybe not best to enter into a relationship with anybody else until you're comfortable with something. Well, everybody's on a journey. Exactly. exactly. And we're, that's the thing. We're always on a journey. The journey never stops. And Chapel and Spock are just on separate journeys right now. <laughs> yeah, they are. And he could have accepted that had he been told in private before <laughs> everybody else on the ship. Okay, before I'm gonna let. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to stop belaboring the point. <laughs> I think I've made my feelings clear. But uh, Spock's song also destroys me because also he's really good at hitting those low notes but Ethan Peck has a very low voice so I had no idea he could sing either um <laughs> that was a surprise I just thought oh this could go really well or really horrible and when and then the first time he sang I'm like oh this is gonna be okay okay we're gonna be okay Whew. anyway <laughs> and it's interesting to watch his body language during 
the song as well because there's a part where he's walking away they're in he's in engineering with uhura and they're trying to figure out these this pattern from these scans that she took during the last number and he's walking away and he's got his arms folded across his chest that is not a typical spock thing and i think i feel like that was deliberate because this is him closing in on himself yeah this is him guarding against hurt and pain and he's he's devastated right now he is absolutely devastated so that one is really hard and ethan peck is really good at doing the glassy eye thing where he looks like he's gonna cry but no tears actually fall he has done that as fuck several times yes yes yes. it's very impressive it is not an easy thing to do i'm speaking from appearance appearance experience so uh at the end of the song he just is he's just done and he's just quietly says i'm sorry and just books it out of engineering he couldn't find a pattern so that was frustrating to him as well so he he books it out of there and now it's uhura's turn to try and figure this out she's not quitting that's not in her nature she's going to figure it out just like she um, finally took a break and had some uh uh drinks with mariner and with ortegas and figured out oh ancient norse can dialect yeah i can do this so <laughs> And her song also makes me cry because this song is Uhura figuring out what she was meant to do. Which has been like a motif, not a mm-hmm. motif, been a theme, not a motif, been a theme throughout the whole of first and the second season of Agreed. like, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing with life? But then this mm-hmm. is her like figuring it out and being like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And it's it's a beautiful thing to watch this realization by the third verse that this is what she's meant to do and the joy with which she's singing it is contagious i guess is the word Mm. it's a really it's interesting because there are a lot of songs in this particular episode that are done in six eight or three four time which is an unusual thing to a lot of people well i'm not I, i don't play a lot of instruments but i play piano i'm a musician not a professional one by any stretch of the imagination i also sing and so i'm very cognizant of time zone time zones time signatures when they happen like when something doesn't seem quite right to other people i'm like no it's just because that's in five eight time mm-hmm. it's not a, a signature that people use a lot but it's listen to a lot of progressive metal and you will hear some interesting time signatures up in there <laughs> like the mission impossible thing as theme i think is nine eight time if i remember so it's just, it was just interesting me that to me that they did some more non-traditional uh, time signatures for a lot of these songs, and I appreciate that. So, but she's she's figured it out. She's figured out that uh, she, not only she's figured out what they need to do to collapse this probability field, but she's also figured out this is what I do. I mm. keep people connected. This is my thing, and she's still very young. We see her doing it at the start of the episode. Yeah. We're- you basically being like actually literally connecting people through the comms mm-hmm. station which was cool actually that was really cool because of the fact that the internal comms and the um <coughs> internal comms and the um ship were down for some reason or whatever so she's like basically connecting people so she's been doing it all along she just hasn't yeah yeah she just hasn't really thought of it that way she's literally and figuratively connecting people <laughs> yeah so 
uh, and and now we get our finale. She she goes to uh, Pike and explains, hey, this is what we have to do. We have to get it to this uh, number here of 344 for this frequency to collapse this particular probability field. And time is of the essence because there are three Katinga class Klingon ships headed their way. They have had enough of this dishonor. <laughs> And they are going to fire torpedoes into the subspace fold, which will not work and will probably destroy everything in this sector. Means everyone in the entire universe will be singing for the end to the end of time. <laughs> yes, yes. It would be very, very bad. Very bad. So she explains it and he's like, what, like an ensemble number? She's like, no, 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 no. Grand finale here. We gotta we gotta pull out all the stops. And she starts it off kind of reprising the melody from her song keep us connected and uh, she starts it off and the, we get some dancers too there are dancers in i'm ready and those same dancers are also in a hallway doing a number while uhura is singing the beginning of the finale <laughs> which i appreciated i'm like yes yes thank you of course there are going to be dancers i can't sing but i can dance yeah <laughs> and so that starts and everybody gets their parts um because she does that we're we got to pull together in this fight for our lives because it is a fight for their lives they're going to be destroyed by the Klingons if they can't figure this out and uh La'an chimes in from engineering saying oh I really needed to hear that we're only our security is only as strong as our unity and then Spock has his little revelation moment where he says when I scan the universe it reveals truth and gives meaning it's what I'm meant to do so he's kind of figured out his thing too I I know my heart just just stay by that scanner peer into that weird looking triangle scanner we're going to be seeing you we're going to be seeing they're doing that for years to come yeah <laughs> chief science officer come on <laughs> so yeah and everybody joins in um everybody gets their little solos uh and pike doing his whole thing about being so proud to be their captain is just it just made me laugh for some reason that they they can't quite get it high enough can't quite hit this right frequency and uh she keeps saying she's saying more singing more voices and pike with hail the klingons uhura <laughs> just, i just so died great. i died i was like oh and my then God. we have we have the lovely bruce horak as a klingon which i was just like i he said that he was going to be in returning in season two uh, but didn't say as what, and everybody thought, oh, it was when he was, was you know, Zombie Hammer. Hammer, yeah. No, he was doing a boy band number, uh, and it's so funny to watch the Klingons in the background too, because they're all kind of joining in. There's this one guy on the right who hasn't gotten his mechleth yet, and is not, and he's like, okay, fine. And he just he joins <laughs> in with his mechleth. <laughs> and and you see Uhura look around the bridge and she looks at Sam and Sam's like into it. <laughs> yes, Sam's yeah. really into it. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably watching old videos of NSYNC and doing the choreography <laughs> in his quarters. <laughs> Sam is like, this is history, man. This is this is, you know. Yeah. This it is, this it is was this is culture. <laughs> It was just so fun because I'm just like, oh no, they can't be singing Klingon opera. That would be too easy. Well, but no, the, 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 Kling thing... the Klingons would probably be happy to sing Klingon opera. They oh, would be like, yeah. this is 
this is the song of our ancestors but this is like they're like oh my god no <laughs> yeah because they they had mentioned their dishonor before because Hura had gotten a, a message from them and they're talking about their their dishonor and i thought well they can't be singing opera then because they would find that honorable so yeah what is the least honorable thing that klingons could be singing yes Pop by a boy band. Yes, <laughs> that is absolutely the least honorable thing to a Klingon. And the, I know that there were some people who really hated that. I was dying of laughter. I think that was the bit in the episode that I actually liked the most, to be honest. I mean, I re like I said before, I really struggled with this episode. But for some reason, I didn't mind the Klingon singing. <laughs> I was more perturbed by the characters that we see every day singing. But random Klingons as a boy band? I was like, I can see Klingons in a boy band. I can see it, you know? Yeah. Strutting their stuff. And I just, I, I love that their first line is, why are you only calling us when you got your dramas? One of these days we'll repay you, we'll slay you. Going to take your last breath at the end of our Mechless. Your eternal torture is every Klingon's dream. You know what I mean? Make your blood scream. <laughs> Very Klingon. Very Klingon. <laughs> okay. That song should just be called Make Your Blood Scream. So... Um, we know they do uh, they do metal as well from Lower Decks. They they do thrash and doom metal, which makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> so they finally get to their their last chorus of the song, and this one ends up with choreography as well. And Spock's been watching that number keep rising and rising, and I love how it's like, okay, this is the final chorus. We're doing the final thing. Oh, I better get in there. I got to do the choreography too. Crap. <laughs> it just runs over at the last minute because they got to get it to that 344. <laughs> and uh, finally, they have their, their final moment all together. And the probability field explodes like fireworks. One of the funniest things, I think, was the choreography of the ships. <laughs> Cracked me the hell up. <laughs> these three Katinka class battleships doing barrel rolls around the Enterprise. Just they really went all out. They really went all out. So they great. were like, I know what we're gonna do. We're gonna make the so ships great. dance with each other. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I love the touch of the original series theme song playing while they're all congratulating each other. Chapel's hugging people and then she turns around and there's Spock and he just looks at her for a second and turns away and goes back to his station and she's got this look on her face like, ah, shit. <laughs> I really messed I that have, up, didn't I? I may, have, I may have screwed up here. Yeah. Pike does say, uh, Uhura, contact the Klingons. I think we have some fences to mend. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea that, like, at some point, Starfleet would have, like, an inquiry. Just, like, a little inquiry, you know? And they'd be like, so, that time where we were all singing, um, what was the ship that uh, that caused this phenomenon? It was, like, the Enterprise. Oh, the Enterprise. Okay. Of yeah. course. Yeah. All right. Well, it, you know, it would be the Enterprise. <laughs> it would be Enterprise. You know, because just of all the things that happen with the Enterprise, all the weird stuff that happens with the Enterprise, you know, and all that stuff, you know, like the reports being made. Like, oh, so that's the one where the people on the Enterprise were hearing, like, loud noises at one point, and it turned out to be a nebula, was actually an alien. Like, do you know what I mean? Oh, okay, that's the one with uh, the Illyrian. Oh, okay, that's the one with... The... Do you know what I mean? It's like, just I just feel like the Enterprise crew are, like, the flagship, but also, like, <laughs> the biggest headache for Starfleet Command. <laughs> Across across the entire Star Trek universe, 
across the, you know what I mean? It's like, it's always the Enterprise that's going to drive us slightly crazy <laughs> and well, this that's, time as that's, well. That's what happens when you explore the unknown. <laughs> you know, weird shit's going to happen. So if you guys have a problem with that, then you shouldn't be sending people on five-year missions to explore strange new worlds and seek out new life and new civilizations and boldly go where no one's gone before. <laughs> I guess also it could be other, other ships, we're just not hearing about them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So everything returns to normal-ish. There is a a nice scene later with La'an and Una in the port galley where she tells Una, yeah, I said what I needed to say and it was painful and hard. And Una says, it always is, but she still did it. And she says, I, I want to be the kind of person to take chances like that again. So I think we're going to see that evolve more in season three. Yeah, and even if she, you know, I think we know she doesn't end up with Kirk eventually, right? But like, you know, it does mean that La'an is open to taking a chance with somebody else. Yes. It means that she's not going to be spending the rest of her life alone, um, like emotionally repressed, basically. She's going to be able to love other people and have other people and accept love from other people as well for for herself. And that's the thing. Accepting love is harder than giving it. So for her to be able to accept it, I really want to see that throughout the course of the series. I really, really do. <sighs> do you have anything else you want to say about this crazy ass episode? I now feel like it's been done. I do not feel like we need to do this again. <laughs> sorry, sorry, that sounds really mean. I'm not saying like people shouldn't rewatch the episode or whatever. I'm not saying that. I meant like I don't know if we need a musical discovery episode. Do you know what I mean? Like I think I feel like maybe we've had our musical Star Trek episode now, and then maybe like I'm not sure because some because there are like repeated themes sometimes i wouldn't say stories necessarily repeat but there are like certain episodes that have similarities you know in the different the different series um and i I just think like i don't think that this is necessarily something that has to be repeated again and start (laughs) and that isn't that isn't just because i i didn't personally um enjoy it as much as other people but more that like i don't know I can't think of an exact situation where this would happen again. What do you mean? Well, see, and that's the whole thing. It's got to have a, a, a scientific reason as to why this is happening. Yeah. And they gave us that in the MacGuffin of the uh, probability field. And and that I'm fine with that. Yeah. So I don't think they can get away with that another time. So the, the only way I think that they could possibly get away with something similar would be on Lower Decks. Because that series is just batshit insane anyway. And you can do anything with it. <laughs> so... Yeah. So it's easier to do things that that you couldn't do in live action. But yeah, I'm fine with this being the only musical episode. I don't feel like there needs to be a run of musical episodes because I think you have to have a specific tone to a show in order to be able to get away with this. And I think that Strange New Worlds can get away with this. Lower Decks could get away with this. Uh, I don't want them to necessarily. I'm just saying that they could. But those are really the only two ways that you could you could do that and have it make some sort of sense. Yeah, and I, I think the, I think this fit the, what was going on with the characters as well. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm not I'm not saying you can't write a musical about any character going through anything. Um, but this fit with these specific characters specific time i think yeah there was actual yeah. character development it wasn't a musical just for yeah. the sake of being a musical these this musical provided yeah. character development and moved the characters along so i i have no problem with that but and uh to people who didn't like it that's fine you're probably not even listening to this episode anyway that's <laughs> i mean in all fairness like <laughs> 
people have disliked stuff or liked stuff that I haven't. I mean, I think the thing about I think about um, any any show, any show on television, or especially science fiction as well, is like you can explore lots of different genres with science fiction in a series, um, and mm-hmm. that you know it's it's wide enough and broad enough that there's a variety of things for lots of different people and lots of different things um people appreciate different things about it you know so i mean a lot of people like space battles i'm not a massive fan of space battles but that's okay they're in they're in sci-fi and i'm just paying attention to the characters and the story rather than the space battles you know some people catalog like their fandom is very much like cataloging all the different ships and the looks of the ships and the yeah i mean and, and that's fine you know like that doesn't necessarily appeal to me but if that really appeals to other people then you know um so th- so i think i'm okay with people not liking stuff like i'm i'm just not necessarily okay with people saying something is bad because they personally don't like it yes i think art is very subjective yes you know and so agreed it really is beauty is in the eye of the beholder right and if you didn't enjoy this it doesn't mean it's bad it just means that you personally didn't enjoy it um which is why i, c- or I said at the beginning of this podcast that like I actually think it's a good episode. It's just I personally found it hard to watch boxing. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, and you know, I mean, but you know, I found it hard to watch Cisco sing in Deep Space Nine. So I just find it hard to watch these characters. It's 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 to do with me. It's to do with me and people both bursting out into song. I find that hard to watch. I think even in musicals, sometimes I find that hard to watch. Um, but it's not something that I think. It, I don't think it's bad. Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't think it has, doesn't have any artistic merit. And so I think that's a problem. I think nowadays, not just with Star Trek, lots of shows, people are like, this is crap or this is bad just because they don't like something or they don't agree with it. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah, that's the thing. You can't say a creative work is categorically bad because it is subjective. Yeah, exactly. And that includes movies, television, music, books, paintings, all art of any kind, basically. But... You know, it's basically my thing is don't yuck somebody's yum. Yeah. You know, if if you don't like it, that's fine. But you don't have to go after people that do like it and tell them how wrong they are. Yeah. <laughs> that that kind of behavior is not okay. So, all right. I think that's about covers this, uh, this very strange new world <laughs> musical. <laughs> So, uh, Clara, would you like to tell people where to find you online? Um, yeah, so you can find me. I'm about to say on Twitter, but is it X? Is it Twitter? Who knows? You can find me. It's Twitter. <laughs> it's Twitter. <laughs> you can find me on there um, at Clara Jean MC. That's where I um, I tweet about random things, really. You can find me on there. You can also find me on Instagram. I'm probably on Instagram more often, to be honest, um, at Clara Jean the Jelly Bean, which is pretty much my Tumblr handle as well. I think I there's too many social media channels nowadays for us to keep track of. I mean, um, I'm not sure where all the Star Trek fans are anymore, sadly. Um, I think we're all spread across them all. Um, but I have a podcast myself. Um, it's about women and gender in film, television, and fiction, and it's called The Tales We Tell. There's a back catalogue. I'm not really recording much at the moment because I'm in the middle of doing a degree. But um, there's a back catalogue of, of episodes, um, including one about Janeway. So please feel free to have a listen if you've got some spare time um, and enjoy. Excellent. Uh, you guys know where to find me. I'm not going to go over all of that. You've heard it in previous episodes, and you'll see it on the social media anyway it's fine so um yeah only one more episode to go and boy do i have some thoughts about that one so (laughs) until then you guys are just going to have to keep on hanging on and keep boldly going Mm -hmm.
This has been Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast. Our intro and outro music was composed especially for us by Eves Orwald, whom you can find on Facebook and SoundCloud for more of their music. Thank you for listening.